Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I am telling you, I am telling you, we are trapped in bizarre world again. The world where people assume that oil going down is somehow bad for the stock market. Because it's a sign of global economic weakness that could be a precursor to a recession. On a day where the Dow lost 202 points, the S&P backslid 0.92%, and the Nasdaq declined 1.65%. Oil's decline was a major culprit. At the same time, yesterday, the Fed told us that it's ready, willing, and able to raise interest rates because the economy is too hot. Something that's reflected in the very high producer price index we got at 8.30 today. Between the Fed simultaneously tightening with the world slowing, well, investors, they got plenty of reasons to sell. Sell, 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 sell. I think the Fed's reacting to old news and commodity inflation may actually have peaked last month. No one's saying that, so I'm just out there doing it. I read the decline in oil as an issue of supply overwhelming demand, not demand waning. And you know what? When that happens, it's terrific for both consumers and for business. You're paying less at the pump. Industry's paying less on the big bill. But the last time oil swooned, you know what? There were plenty of hedge funds who set their machines, these algorithms, to sell stocks every time the price of crude ticks lower. They figured that the oil bear market is all about a lack of demand, not a surfeit of supply. If that is your thesis, then you have to believe that we're headed into a serious slowdown. And that will result in a lot of, uh, a lot of shortfalls. I am not of that camp. I believe the opposite. I think lower oil actually creates a virtuous circle. And the people are too negative. And it happened last time. Uh, where we learn, say, that, hey, cheaper fuel is actually good for, uh, how about 90% of the S&P 500? 90? As long as it's caused by excess supply. When you consider that the U.S. is now producing 12 million barrels a day. I remember when it was at 9, and we went out to the Bakken, and people said it could never get to 10. Now it's 12, okay? Uh, that's huge from just a few years ago. So it's really hard to believe that it's a demand issue when you see the supply pumping. So uh, what do you do with your portfolio? Nothing. Let this nonsense play out. Get ready to buy some high-quality stocks of companies that benefit from lower oil. It worked last time. It's going to work again, provided the Fed figures out that inflation is going down, not up. There's no hurry. Now, with that in mind, let's take a look at our game plan for next week. It starts with, of all things, a Chinese company at home. Now, normally, I wouldn't cover these companies, and the Chinese list companies in America all the time. But get this. This is a giant online platform for finding out about cars. And I got to tell you, I'm concerned, at least from the point of view of the stock market, that the trade war is hurting the Chinese economy, that it's actually bringing it down, slowing it down big. Now, personally, I am and have been 
from the Peter Navarro camp. He's the presidential advisor who believes it's time to fight back after years of the PRC walking all over us. This is a view I had when Larry Kudlow, the chief economic advisor, battled me every night for three years in Kudlow and Kramer. So this is not something new. Anyway, when China slows, that tends to freak out lots of global money managers. So it's important to know how the People's Republic is doing. Unfortunately, China's listed so many companies here, we can't get a pretty decent read on their economy. When you listen to Alibaba today, it sounded good. But you know what? The last time Auto Home reported, it painted a grim picture of auto sales in China. You know what? I think it's gotten even worse. I'm regarding this company as giving us a key piece of data we need to understand the world mosaic of commerce. Tuesday, we hear from Home Depot. With a stock that's down 30 points from its highs. I gotta tell you, people, that is something that's incredibly unusual. This stock is always clustered around its high. Does it make any sense? Most investors have come to the conclusion that Home Depot should trade not with the soaring retail contingent, but with the sinking housing sector. I don't know what they can do to change the narrative. Sometimes you just can't fight City Hall. Uh, here's a good one. After the close, we get results from Tilray. Uh, do you know that that's the largest publicly traded cannabis company? And they were on our show. And we'll get our first real look at what's happening in Canada post-legalization. I think the stock's too expensive here, but I still want to hear what they have to say. Wednesday, Macy's reports, and the last time the company told you how it was doing, the stock was, well, let's just say it was met with an avalanche of selling, plunging from 41 to 35 in a single day. Macy's has shown some pep of late, sneaking back to 37 bucks and change. And I think you could have some staying power, but that last quarter makes me a bit gun-shy to tell you to go buy the stock. I'm going to listen to the commentary about how the Chinese are lowering prices for the goods Macy's buys that are subject to tariffs in order to keep their business in China. We know that many apparel makers and retail operations are furiously trying to move their manufacturing away from China. We will speak to one later in the show. And if the Chinese are starting to offer deals, then it's terrific news for the retailers ahead of the holiday season. Oh, we get to hear from Canada Goose, too. And I've liked this apparel play for ages, even as I've lamented leaving the stock too soon. I think Canada Goose is developing a worldwide business, and it's doing it well. Might be worth owning for some speculation. After the close, Cisco reports, I think that this Internet of Things tech titan is really starting to hit its stride as a safe, secure connector to all sorts of networks, including the cloud. We've been telling club members of AxelOrangePlus.com that Cisco's doing incredibly well, and it has a terrific management team. It's led by CEO Chuck Robbins. I'm looking for a very good number, augmented by the decline in price for a lot of the components they buy. If you can get it around these levels because it really got hit badly today, I think it's a good thing. I think it's worth buying. I cannot wait to hear what Walmart has to say when it reports on Thursday morning. I suspect it'll be good. Walmart's last call was a smash hit, and the stock has never looked back, and I bet we get another one. I think their online numbers will be excellent, too. I want to listen in to see if they talk about tariffs as they buy a ton of merchandise from China. But the main thing I care about is 100 million people shop there every week, so let's get a read in the U.S. economy. Detect if there's any softening. Remember, I don't think that's happening yet. That's why I still favor December rate hunt. After the close, we get results from two major tech companies, Semiconductor Equipment Maker, uh, Pick of the Litter, Applied Materials. Some people say Lamb's better than them. I see they're both great companies. And then, wow, maybe the best manufacturer these days on Earth, NVIDIA. You know, it's my favorite in the space. Uh, tech's been soggy for months. And you could argue that the sell-off began when Applied Materials told us about a pause in demand. And it was back in early spring. Bulls would love to hear that the pause is over. I'm not going to give you that green light. I think the stock, uh, NVIDIA, it, it, let's just say that the narrative here will be difficult. This company, which makes the best graphics chips on Earth, which are faster, by the way, than Intel's chips. Can you ever believe that someone could be faster? They have some fantastic offerings for gaming, for the data center, for artificial intelligence, for autonomous driving. I think they're a good quarter. I am concerned that NVIDIA might flag 
that they could be facing a difficult product transition to a new set of chips that may be too advanced for today's markets. Well, that's a high-quality problem, but it's a problem nonetheless. So maybe it's one of those where it goes down on the news, and then boom, and you have to pick it up, okay? That's probably the way I would do it. Nordstrom, sorry to write on top of Nordstrom, but they reported for the close. I've got mixed emotions about the stock. Department store chain should be doing well, but its shares have just run up 20 points since the beginning, well, since, uh, what, May, uh, middle of May. There's been a furious retail rally going on, so I say let's wait and see, all right? Now, we, uh, the, uh, my chapter just recently sold this, and we told club members of ActionLessPlus.com, don't be greedy. It's been such a big run. Finally, Friday, we hear from one of my favorite companies, Viacom. Now, Viacom is the sister company of the troubled CBS, and I think that Viacom is beginning to eclipse its sister company when it comes to earnings momentum. I like what Viacom has been doing to monetize its intellectual property. Its cable offerings are actually doing much better than I think people realize, and they are giving you Paramount, the fabulous at one time king of movies, for free. Here's the bottom line. When we see this entire mosaic of earnings reports, we should get a pretty good snapshot of whether the consumer is still as strong as she's been. But of course, hopefully not so strong that the Fed feels the need to reiterate that it needs to burn down the economic village in order to save it. They know nothing! Nick in Nebraska, Nick! Hello, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, from the Nick. State. Booyah. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Of course. I would like to know your opinion on CenturyLink, CTL. Yeah. I've been a longtime holder of Level 3, and as you probably know, CenturyLink bought Level 3 about a year ago. Of they course. took on a lot of debt. They do pay a nice dividend. Um, the last couple quarters have been positive. I know they reported yesterday, and it seems to be mixed. So, I, you know, you look, hold- we never, ever, ever in America reach for a, uh, a stock in order to get a big dividend. If we think even for a minute that that dividend could be in question. And I am thinking for a minute that the dividend's in question, and therefore let's move on. How about Bob in Florida? Bob. Up. Oh. It looks like I just heard the music. So Bob will have to wait for another show. I hope he calls back. All right. Next week should give us a good read on the health of the consumer and also of the Chinese consumer. I'm hoping for a Goldilocks situation. Not strong enough to spook the Fed, but just right. Just right is the name of the game. Oh, man, money tonight. I'm eyeing Amgen to see if the company can continue to deliver healthy returns. Then you might not think much about Crocs as a foot fashion choice, but I'll tell you how the stock has become quite a looker these days. And there's nothing fun about Funko's latest quarter. Can the company turn itself around? Well, let me just tell you this. I'm going to talk with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.
on a not-so-hot day for the averages. Why don't we take a minute to talk about Amgen, the gigantic biotech company with a stock that just keeps kind of chugging along. I started recommending Amgen back in May when this was one of the most hated stocks on Wall Street. Now it's blubbed. It's up 11% for the year, making me feel pretty good that we own it for my Chapel Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. What makes Amgen so attractive here? Part of it is the, sh- is the slowdown thesis. If you believe the Fed is going to tighten too aggressively and really put the kibosh on the economy, as I do, Amgen's exactly the kind of company that can keep putting up good numbers, even in a slowing economy. But there are plenty of biotechs that are doing terribly here. So what sets this one apart? Simple. This is an incredibly well-run company that's taking control of its own destiny. And it shows. So let me walk you through it. At the beginning of 2018, Amgen's growth had been slowing for years. The company was stagnating, and it was hard to imagine the company being able to do anything about it, or at least that's how it looked. The reality turned out to be very different. And now there's so much to like about this one that I am out there pounding the table on Amgen. For starters, Amgen's been buying back a boatload of stock. Here's the thing, a ton of money overseas. And when a company has a stagnant growth but still generates more than $20 billion a year in revenues with rising margins, there's a lot they can do to turn things around. While it may not be sexy, Amgen has a ton of cash. They had $42 billion at the, end of the, at the beginning of this year. $42 billion. But much of it was overseas. After the president's big tax reform passed, Amgen was finally able to repatriate a lot of that money. They had the largest uh, amount of money overseas to market capitalization of any company in the S&P 500. So come February 1st, the company announced a truly gargantuan buyback. $10 billion. On top of the $4.4 billion repurchase program they already had. Keep in mind, this is only a $123 billion company. But that wasn't even the best part. Amgen told us they'd be doing the buyback very, very quickly via what's known as a Dutch tender auction. Okay, it's an auction tender. And remember, this was in early February when the whole market had gone in a bananas free fall. Remember? Amgen stocks included that. So management started buying right away. By early March, the company repurchased over 52 million shares for $192 per share, retiring 7% of the share count in a matter of days. However, the buyback's impact seemed to be short-lived. Once Amgen finished... Stock came right back down because the biotechs was just so darn hated. Yes, this was a huge statement of confidence from management, which is why I recommended Amgen at 169 on May 2nd. Since then, it's given you a 14% gain, far outpacing the rest of the market. Of course, a buyback alone, even a huge one, is not enough to re- that is not a reason to recommend a stock if the company isn't doing well. You need some reason to believe that business will get better. Otherwise, that buyback may prove to be foolhardy, and you'll feel like a moron for buying alongside them. Fortunately, Amgen has now reported a series of very strong quarters, and we've got plenty of reasons to like the stock. Two of them stand out, and we've got to talk about them so you know why we're doing this piece. First, why was management so eager to repurchase $10 billion of stock in February? Because Amgen knew they were about to launch a powerful new drug called Amovig. Now, you're going to get to start knowing this term, Amovig. This is a preventive treatment for migraines. Millions of people have them. They received FDA approval just in mid-May. For those of you who are lucky enough not to get migraines, these horrible, often blinding, and paralyzing headaches can be really tough to treat. Amovig uses a novel approach, blocking a particular peptide receptor, a protein that carries chemical signals from one cell to another that's associated with migraines. And the data we've seen is amazing. Half the patients who took this drug saw their number of of days with migraines reduced by 50% or more. When the FDA approval came down, Amgen and their partner Novartis were ready. 
The drug was available to patients a week later. Now you need to inject this thing, but it comes in its own auto injector, and you only need to stab yourself with it once a month. Ka-ching! The cost is about $6,900 a year. $6,900, which is a small price to pay to help overcome a real disability, especially if your insurance company is footing the bill. So far, the numbers here have been just off the charts. Fabulous. When Amgen reported in late July, the company had its best revenue growth since the end of 2016. Management raised the full-year forecast with aim of it giving them a boost. By the time the company reported its third quarter results a couple of weeks ago, we knew this drug was a winner. On the conference call, Amgen's executive vice president of global commercial operations said that Amavig, and I quote, represents one of the strongest launches that I've seen in my experience of this industry, both within this therapeutic area and even more broadly, end quote. They've already got over 100,000 patients taking it. Now, they give you a free uh, sample at the beginning, so, but, and then you kind of really like it. And while many of these people are still on the free trials, Amgen's benefiting from a huge amount of pent-up demand because there just aren't many good treatments for migraines. Plus, the company tells us that the awareness of the drug is still at just 10%, 10% among patients whom it might help. So there's still plenty of room to grow. And listen, I know. I know Amavid works because I take it myself. I was averaging about 28 migraine days a month. Horrible. Now I clock in about four or five after being on it for just four months. I'm telling you, this thing is saving lives. It's incredible. That's how I first got onto the Amgen store to begin with. At the beginning of the year, everyone was fretting about how Amgen would replace its lost sales as the company's old drugs have come up against new competition and biosimilars like Dulasta, you know, because Myelin's got a real good biosimilar that's, uh, that's chipping at it. Uh, the story is about how Amgen's own new drugs are performing, though. That's a much better narrative. Second, there's another one that I've tried to get, frankly. It's, but this one, this one is tougher to get into the—it's into the, uh, expensive. It's called Repatha, but we're going to talk about the expense in a second. Repatha is the company relatively new therapy that helps reduce LDL cholesterol. That's the bad kind. A few, a few years ago, there was this massive high-stakes race between Amgen and the combined forces of Sanofi Regeneron to come up with the next generation of anti-cholesterol drugs because we have ton of, tons of information that shows you bad cholesterol high, bad for you. Many investors figured that these things would quickly become blockbusters. After all, doesn't America have a horrible obesity epidemic? But when Repatha and Sanofi Regeneron's Proluent uh, got FDA approval back in 2015, they were both pretty expensive, costing roughly $14,000 a year. Now, according to all the data, the new anti-cholesterol drugs are superior to old-fashioned statins like Lipitor that I can't take, frankly. More effective at preventing strokes and heart attacks, fewer side effects. This should have been a slam dunk. But most statins are generic these days, so they only cost a few hundred bucks a year. Surprise, surprise, both of these pricey new therapies ended up disappointing. By 2017, Repatha generated just 319 million sales. Not bad in absolute terms, but people thought it was to be a billion-dollar blockbuster. It was supposed to be the future of Amgen. Early this year, though, things got worse when Sanofi and Regeneron reached a deal with Express Scripts, being bought by Cigna, to sell their next-gen cholesterol drug at heavily discounted products, uh, prices. Heavily discounted. So Repatha's sales quickly came under pressure. So Amgen cut their own drugs prices by 60% recently to be, get roughly in line with competition. Now, why am I so excited about a huge price cut, which wouldn't normally sound like some act of desperation, right? Because according to Amgen, three-quarters of Medicare patients never even fill the Repatha prescriptions because it's so darn expensive. Out-of-pocket costs will now be much, much lower, and that should give this drug a major boost. You cut the price, but you expand the universe by so many people, it's going to work. Why the announcement was, that's why initially when the stock got hit on the announcement, and then it rallied. I believe we're going to begin to hear a lot of good studies that say far more people should be on Repatha because the data shows that everybody can benefit from much lower bad cholesterol. 
So let me give you the bottom line on this pretty exciting story. Amgen is taking control of its own destiny, and with the stock just selling it, it's only 13 times earnings. 13 times. I think this one could have a lot more room to run. Let's go to Bill in South Carolina. Bill! Yes, sir. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Bill! My question to you is about AbbVie, A-B-B-V. Yeah. I bought the shares back in February, pretty close to the high, purchased more in June as they've come down. Uh, lots of good things I read about the company, but the shares, you know, have continued to deteriorate well, a little they, bit. Well, you know, they have one big drug, and it's the biggest drug of all time, okay, Ayumura, and there are, are companies that are coming up with uh, biosimilars that are challenging it. And they're, they're cutting the price of what you're absolutely right. Abvi is a great company. But because of the one drug that is going to have to tail off, I don't want you to buy it. I just don't want people in the stock. Uh, oh, darn it. I wanted to talk more about this. Anyway, look, I think Amgen's got more room to run because they've got some terrific things going, including Amavig and Repatha. If you believe the Fed's going to keep tightening, Amgen's just the kind of company that keep will, let's just say it'll still show good results, even if the Fed... Crushes the economy. Much more mad money ahead. Looking for the newest fashion it brand? I'll tell you how ugly fashion is making pretty profits for. It's a surprise. Then Funko might be known for its toys, but its drop today is no game. I'm asking the CEO of the company to turn it around. And what Norwegian, Ralph Lauren, and Dow DuPont all have in common. So stay with Kramer. seen everything. I thought nothing could surprise me. I thought I was an open-minded fella. But man, when I see that Crocs, the company that makes these oh-so-stylish clog things, has seen its stock double in a year, including a man with 27% run yesterday, I'm almost speechless. Really? America? Crocs? These things have come back in vogue? Of all the crazy things that have happened in the last few years, this is the one that makes me think that we are really indeed living in bizarre world. But I'm not gonna quibble with the consumer. Crocs are selling. The stock is working, even as it pulled back substantially today, down more than 7%. Clearly, there's no arguing with taste. Still, I keep getting calls about Crocs, and I've been reluctant to answer because, frankly, I wasn't quite sure what to make of this company's miraculous resurrection. After the quarter they reported yesterday, though, we need to address this thing head on. You need to understand, for the better part of this decade, this stock had been written off and left for dead. Crocs were, well, um, kind of a joke, I guess, you know? Got so bad even as, as recently as last year, people were concerned about the company's viability as a going concern. And then the stock takes off. At its lows last year, Crocs was selling for less than six bucks. Now it's at 25. What's driving this incredible resurgence? First though, let me give you a little history lesson. When the world was young and this show had just gone on the air, almost, probably about 3,000 episodes ago, frankly, okay, uh, what happened is Crocs came public and the stock really caught fire. For a brief period, their comfy, lightweight, weird-looking shoes were extremely popular. I mean, I don't know if they were ever cool, ever. I had not my department, but they were ubiquitous. From the IPO in 2006 to the beginning of the financial crisis, the stock screamed higher. Then it plummeted back to earth during the recession. Before staging a minor recovery until 2011. But the sales started slowing. And by 2015, by 2015, they were... Negative. Wow. 
The numbers have been terrible, and you can understand why everyone assumed the fad had simply passed and Crocs were little more than a punchline. As company sales created, so did its margins. However, in late 2013, Blackstone got involved uh, in an activist uh, capacity, ousting the CEO and grabbing two board seats. Then Steve Cohen, remember that controversial hedge fund manager? He took a major stake in the business. In 2014, Crocs announced a big restructuring. Again, the numbers were still awful. But the company started streamlining the business while closing underperforming stores. The thing is, turnarounds, as we know on this show, can take a very long time. And Crocs spent a couple of years lost in the wilderness. Waiting for the turn to bear fruit, the numbers continued to stink. By March of last year, the board of directors was getting impatient. They removed another CEO and promoted Crocs president Andrew Reeds to the top spot while announcing even more restructuring, like reducing the store count from 558 locations to about 400 and cutting costs to the bone. Last spring, Crocs rolled out a new ad campaign designed to breathe new life into the brand, including that big 30-second manifesto with John Senna and Drew Barrymore, as well as Asian celebrities like Andy Lau from Hong Kong and uh, Yuna Lim from Korea. The ad played really well. The turnaround effort started paying off. The numbers began to improve, albeit gradually. By the time the summer of 2017 rolled around, the stock was beginning to bounce off its lows, and things kept going right. Crocs have built out a terrific digital direct-to-consumer business. And as we've seen from many other apparel plays, including Nike, cutting out the middleman is great for your earnings when it's done right. In short, Crocs makes a lot more money when they sell you shoes online than at the store. But you know what the biggest driver of the comeback was? I mean, honestly, it was about something beyond the company's control. Ugly's back. Ugly's back in. These are plum ugly. With the rise of the athleisure business, by the way, Sarah Eisen chronicled that well, more and more people are buying comfortable shoes and clothes rather than, you know, I mean, good-looking ones. I mean, Tevas are back. Birkenstocks, they're really hideous. They're there. And while I may catch some flack for saying this, Uggs are back, too. And while they have an iconic look, let's just say there are a lot of people who think Uggs is short for ugly. I think it's short for 67%. The 67% gain its pair Deckers has had so far this year alone. Me bizarro. Me like a ugly. Thanks to the resurgence of substance over style, Crocs saw its sales stop shrinking and turn positive again in the fourth quarter of last year, up 6%. The margins began to creep back up. Heck, the company even managed to turn a small profit last year. And as 2018 is going on, the numbers just get better and better. In March, the company rolled out its new product, uh, first one new product in years, a softer, lighter sandal called Light Ride selling very well. Meanwhile, the company's been executing fabulously. In May, Crocs delivered a nice top and bottom line beat. Management raising their full-year revenue guidance. They beat again when they reported in August. Suddenly, it became clear to shrewd investors that Crocs are actually popular again. In fact, according to a survey conducted by Aaron Murphy's fabulous retail team at Piper Jaffray, boy, they're good. I'm not kidding. Teenagers, they love Crocs. Can you believe it? Among all teens, the brand was ranked number 13, up from 27 last fall. Company really, uh, is, the company's really doubling down on this demographic, which is why they just signed a partnership with Post Malone. I mean, you know Post Malone, right? The rapper with uh, Always Tired tattooed across his face. I mean, love him, even if I don't share his ethos. Their limited edition Post Malone-style clogs went on sale last week. How long do you think it took? How long before it sold out? Yeah, 10 minutes. <laughs> 
Which brings us to yesterday morning when Crocs reported a phenomenal blowout quarter. I mean, really. And it was because they had an absolutely incredible back-to-school season. Company is supposed to lose two cents a share, okay? Instead, they made seven cents a share. Sales increased by 7.3% year over year. The best growth rate in at least 20 quarters. Management's guidance for the next quarter was stronger than expected. Their forecast for 2019 was fabulous. They called for mid-single-digit growth. Now, that may not sound like much, but remember, a year ago, people were wondering if Crocs even had a future. For, hey, they weren't even would exist. Yesterday's results were proof positive that the turn is real. So it's no wonder the stock surged 27% on the news. Of course, it pulled back 7% as some people decided to ring the register. But, but uh, what do you do now? All right, listen. In September, I got a question about Crocs from Allen in Nevada, okay? And I said, I'll get back to Allen in Nevada. But we were a little busy with that October madness and the market falling apart and all. And I never got around to it. Stock was at 21. 21. Now it's at 25. I missed that move. I know. I own that. But you know what? It's not crazy to speculate on Crocs even up here. Although ideally, you're sure you'd like to wait for a pullback before you pull the trigger. And don't even think about owning Crocs, please, with your retirement money. This is the kind of thing you only buy with funds that you can afford to lose. <clears throat> Bottom line, after years of underperformance, Crocs are back in vogue. Suddenly popular, the whole new generation of consumers. I think the company deserves a lot of credit for this turnaround. But I wouldn't buy the stock of Crocs unless you're a real daredevil, because betting on teenagers, well, let's just say it is always a risky proposition. Let's go to Beth, my home state, New Jersey. Beth! Hi, Jim. Yo, yo, Beth, first, what's up? First, I wanted to say I'm a huge Eagles fan, so go Eagles. Go Birds! So, with the stock having split two for one this week, I wanted to know your opinion of the future of TJ Maxx. You know what? I wish everybody would split their stocks. There's so many companies that have no stock splits, it's crushing them. I think the TJX is going higher. Matthew ah, Boss agrees with me. I think it's the one to own in the sector. And I've got to tell you, Please, companies that have 100, 200, 300, 400, split your stock so our investors who watch this show, who watch this show, can buy you. These $1,000 stocks, the ride, the ETFs rule. Split your stock, for heaven's sake. All right. Guess what's in? You know what's in? Ugly is in, which is good news for me and Crocs. <laughs> now you're talking. But as any parent knows, the taste of teenagers is always changing, so I wouldn't buy the stock right now unless you don't mind taking a little risk. Oh, boy, there is so much man money tonight. I talk about being in a funk. Shares of Funko have dropped 21% today alone. Can the company make a case for itself? I'm asking you, the CEO. Then why are some stocks being treated like they just can't do anything right? I'm giving you my read on what the market's got wrong in this earnings cycle. And which stock should you be buying in the face of all this negativity? And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. And a look back at the week that was. These are priceless. Stay with Kramer. They're fun. They're familiar. But can these figures be big business? For Funko, October was a month to forget. But for investors, is this stock a collectible? A few weeks ago, I told you about a rapidly growing little toy maker called Funko that I got in a call about. Funko makes lots of licensed collectibles and figurines related to movies and TV shows and sports and musicians. The numbers look good and the stock had pulled back so dramatically from its highs 
that I gave you my blessing to buy for speculation. For the next couple of weeks, the stock surged higher. But then last night, Funko reported, and well, let's just say the market's reaction has been very fun. Stock plunged uh, more than four bucks, or 21%. But here's the crazy thing. The quarter wasn't that bad. Funko delivered better than expected sales and earnings. They raised the full-year forecast substantially for both the top and the bottom line. So what the heck is going on here? Well, Funko's gross margins declined. People seem to be worried about that. But this seems like an extreme move off of this news. To me, well, let's just say it looks like a good quarter with some hair on it. Not perfect, but not the kind of thing that should erase 20% of your stock's value at the blink of an eye. we got to figure this out. So let's take a closer look with Brian Mariotti. He's the CEO of Funko. Get a better sense of the quarter, how his company's doing as we head into the holidays. Mr. Mariotti, welcome to Mad Money. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jim. Excited to be on the show. All right, well, Brian, I got to tell you, I, I, I think, first of all, before we get into the actual the quarter, just explain to people what you do, because people have probably seen your stuff, didn't know it was you. Well, you know what? We're an index fund of pop culture. We connect fans to the things they love. And there's so much things out there that are amazing, sports, music, television, movies, video games. Uh, we are like a fast fashion company for pop culture. We hold more licenses than any company on the planet. We connect those amazing different products to their fan bases. We do it on a global basis. And you know what? We love what we do. Now, for instance, uh, people may not understand. Uh, they think of maybe it could only be Hasbro but you or Mattel, but you have a lot of, say, Disney licenses. You also have evergreen properties. Yeah, look, we are, we're disruptive. We're a very different business model in the traditional toy space. Uh, the idea that we can be the first out to market with things that are resonating, use evergreen content with Disney and Marvel and Star Wars along great things like Bob Ross and Golden Girls and Overwatch and Fortnite and sports teams. It's a very, very different business model. Uh, we leveraged, I think it was close to 550 unique properties alone in Q3. That's a recipe for success, that kind of diversity. Well, yeah, I think it would be 551. I happen to catch maybe your most bestseller for, uh, for the holiday seasons. And this is uh, a uh, pop mad money C. And there I think, I don't know if you see this, this ideal. Now, here's what I don't understand. I, How can you do these so fast? I mean, here's actually a me. And I am sure that you can do many of these. The speed would seem to be breathtaking how fast you can do these. Well, you know, I mean, that probably is the biggest seller that, that Jim Cramer, Mad Money, popped. This, this, uh, forget about Fortnite and big, big titles. It's probably you that's going to be, you know, being the one on the, uh, on the forefront of everybody's mind for, uh, for Christmas. But you know what? We have an amazing team of passionate pop culture junkies at our company, love working on what they do. They, they, they put their heart and soul into uh, every one of their designs, and that's why we move so fast. Well, we just have a passionate, uh, energetic company. Okay, now I know on the conference call, some people were talking about, what are you doing? I make, obviously, a lot of stuff in China. Half of it's made outside of China. You're talking about moving a substantial part of your manufacturing out of China, being more uh, agnostic about where you make things. Yeah, I think we just realized that there's opportunities there um, outside of China to produce, and we're not really concerned about the tariffs, and that's not really our primary decision-making on why we're moving it out there. We're looking for the best factories to move the fastest, the highest quality, the best price, the most consistent production. Uh, it just happens to be a lot of that is working outside of uh, China, and we figure by the end of next year, we should be about 70% of our manufacturing should reside outside of China. Now, it did seem that I guess people were upset with the uh, gross margins, but you made some very good points at the fourth quarter. You're going to have a really good relationship with Walmart, a lot of good things ahead. You have the movie schedule for Disney next year. So maybe this is just a speed bump. We 
actually were kind of mystified by why the stock got hurt so badly, frankly. Yeah, yeah, we don't really worry about that. Look, we love what we do. We put our head down. We know we have a business model that works. It's been proven on a global basis. We keep working our tail off, work, put our head down, and, and not really be concerned about watching the stock. The last thing you need to do is be focused on what Wall Street thinks. It's our job to, to, to meet and beat expectations on a quarter-by-quarter basis. Also, to get out there and to educate people what our company does. We're a relatively new company. We think we're doing a phenomenal job of doing that, and we're going to continue to do that, continue to educate Wall Street on why pop culture is a business they should be in, because our retailers all around the world believe they should be in that business. Right. And the other thing is, is just get people excited about what our business is and how disruptive it is. We're doing a better job of educating Wall Street. Okay, so, Brian, what's the smallest lot that you do? Yeah, you know, uh, smallest quantity? Yeah. Yeah, I think, look, we're not really concerned about spreadsheet analysis when it comes to making things that we know are on the, fo- on the forefront of pop culture. Great examples are Golden Girls and Bob Ross. These are just things that, that brought people back to things they loved in, in their childhood or in their, their teens or in college years. And then and ultimately putting them in a, in a format that excites people and delights our end consumers. And what happens is they blow up. You know, you do something where you think you're making five or 10,000 Bob Ross. Next thing you know, you're selling 500,000 Bob Ross pop. That's kind of the recipe for success. Lead with the heart, know what pop culture is about, and then kick butt. And uh, how about the holiday season? Seems strong to you? Consumers buying? Yeah, we're, we're really excited. We're in a great position inventory-wise with our retail partners, sell-through rise of our retail partners, better year over year than we were last year. The appetite for our product is amazing on a global basis. We're in great position for Q4, and we love what 2019 looks like. How about Fortnite? What are you doing? Uh, well, we're the first one to grab a license. We're the first one to have the product in the marketplace in our category. So we think we have a competitive advantage there. Uh, early sales through seem very, very positive. I think it's uh, I-, I think this is going to be a great property for us. All right. The only reason I asked you about the lot was totally self-centered. We're about to have our 3000 show and I wanted to get everybody a, a Jim Cramer doll. But maybe there's- I think we could probably make something like that happen. All right. Thank you. I like your company very much, Brian. That's Brian Mariotti. He's the CEO of Funko. Thank you so much, sir. Great to see you. Thanks for having us on. Hey, hey it's kind of cool. Come on. Admit it. Stay with Kramer. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Chris, what's about Brad Carlos? What are they saying? It's time to go by my and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate. That is over. The lightning round. Come here, go. Walter, you California. Walter. Hello, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Walter. Uh, question is um, leg and flat. Um, did a little homework and uh, found out they bought a company for like $1.2 billion and I was wondering what your. Uh, I actually like Leggett Platt very much, but sir, I gotta tell you that we are in a housing bear market that is even made, being made and exacerbated by J-PAL. So nothing. I can't, even though I have four percent yield, say you should buy. I need to go to John in California. John. Ah, uh, Jim. You know we live out here in Brackenville, Sacramento Valley. I love John. He knows exactly. He used to live in my car. What's up? I know, Kent and P. Okay. Exactly. We've been doing some homework, me and the caveman, and we think B of A might be a safe haven during these political times. What do you think of B of A? B of A? <laughs> B of yeah. A? Um, no, I like B of A. I think that B of A is terrific. Bye, bye, bye. But understand, it's just going to be stalled here until the Fed gives us a little more direction. They don't want to wreck the economy. Let's go to Dave in California. Dave. 
Hey, booyah, Jim, from West Los Angeles. Booyah. In West LA, man, I lived there too. I lived at, I, uh, I had Orange Grove, where it hits Pico. Oh, yeah. Had sure. everything stolen from me. That's where I lived in my car after. What's up? <laughs> okay, I've got a, uh, I bought a stock after I saw him as a guest on your show, Integrated Device Technology, Whoa, Inc. Well, ka-ching, ka-ching, <laughs> you got to take over, bid. Let's take that money off the table and go buy a nice cashmere sweater. How about Rishi in New Jersey? Rishi! Hey, Jen. Thanks for taking my call. Um, a first-time caller, a little bit nervous. No, it's all right. Relax. It's just a, it's just a crazy show. I've been getting great education from your show. Thank oh, you thank very you. much for that. Thank you. Uh, the stock that I'm calling about is the Square FQ. It's been bouncing around a lot in the last two months. You think it's a good time to buy? Okay, Rishi, let me get. I'm going to give you the two squares. There's the square from the point of view of the business person, and they are spending a lot of money to be able to win in the arms race. And then there's the square from the point of view of the stock, and people say they're spending too much money to win the arms race. So what I'm going to say is... Don't buy. Don't buy. I have time for another. I'm going to go to Matt in Georgia. Matt! Hey, Jim, this is Matt from Atlanta, Georgia. A weekend booyah to you. Hey, see you at the Super Bowl, booyah. <laughs> you bet, I'll be there. Hey, um, I know you've been a big fan of Cedar Fair, ticker symbol F-U-N for the home gamers. They haven't been much fun lately. What's going no, on with them? Oh, man, no, it's not. They got to come on because, oh, doctor, that group has gotten very, very hard. Um, but I got to tell you, I still think they've got plenty of money to cover the dividend, but it's not my favorite right now. And that. Ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Welcome to Man Money. What? You kidding me? Stop. There's a mistake here. I think that's part of like this overall. That's pretty professional. Never, these were hot for a while. Uh, it, I got a whole bag of apples. Anyway, candy app. <laughs> then, it's in the end. Sorry. This gridlock scenario results in a dramatically slower economy. That's the sound of a slower economy. Man, you just killed the mojo. I gotta get something off my chest. I mean, sometimes the market is just asking too darn much of a given company. It's starting to rankle me. We've seen so many companies report great numbers this quarter, and the market has yawned or even trashed their stocks for no good reason other than misperception. Take yesterday. Okay, this Norwegian cruise line, such a good company, Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, the formal name. It reported a terrific set of numbers. It told a solid story. We had them on. Stock managed to rally a buck and change and at least come back from the deaths where it had been trading. It fallen from 57 to 41 heading into the quarter. Still, this consistent grower is selling for a ridiculous 10 times next year's earnings. And it remains down more than 8% for the year. What is Norwegian's crime? It's being viewed as a cyclical company with a boom and bust stock. And everybody's acting like we're headed into a bust. I think that's plain wrong. Norwegian's cruises are sold out on all of its ships, including the deluxe portion of its fleet. Do you know that for next year, 65% of the rooms are already booked? I mean, it's never for heaven's sake. Who has that kind of visibility? How can that be a cyclical company? Frank Del Rio, the excellent CEO, has done everything he can to try to convince people the stock is anything but cyclical, but the objections just keep on coming. Objection number one, they can't make any more money from customers beyond the room fee. Totally wrong. 
Every year, Norwegian makes a little more from customers with its onboard fees for different accoutrements. This is the kind of thing that people justifiably hate, but from a business perspective, terrific. Objection number two. There's too much capacity coming on in the industry. Frank will tell you he needs all that capacity. You say, prove it. Okay, how about this? How about the fact that the Alaskan situation is just, to me, empirically true? The fleet up there has 15% more capacity this year, and it's going to have a 25% increase in revenues. That's empirical data, people. It's fine to add lots of new ships as long as there's demand for them. Objection number three, it's a dying industry. Only old people take cruises. Nope. While the baby boomers are still the biggest cohort, millennials now regard cruises as bargains. Eh, they've been flocking to them. There's good repeat business with younger people. I don't know. My 24-year-old daughter loves cruises, in part because they're so darn inexpensive. Objection number four, raw costs like fuel are going up, and so their margins will be squeezed. Now, wait a second. I mean, have you noticed that oil, uh, this is the longest streak down since 1984. You know I'm on this oil bear market thesis. The only companies that benefit from plunging oil prices more than the cruise lines are the airlines. But it doesn't matter. The industry wrongly has been written off as cyclical. To be fair, yes, anything that relies so heavily on the consumer is technically hostage to the business cycle. But Norwegian's a lot less cyclical than we thought. Dow DuPont has been regarded as a totally cyclical company. Even as I could argue that its three divisions are totally specialty operations with high growth. You don't deliver numbers that are up 10% year over year in this environment, where many chemical company stocks are collapsing if you're purely cyclical. But Dow DuPont has collapsed more than any other. I think that's dead wrong. Market expects way too much from this company. I wish I could say these are show-me stocks, but the truth is they've shown. They're doing great. They should be bought. Enough already. Stick with Kramer. Do not miss our big Veterans Day show on Monday. I am excited about this huge guest, Kevin Johnson, CEO from Starbucks. Kevin Mandias, CEO from FireEye. Holy cow, he's an Air Force veteran. This is going to be terrific. And of course, the studio audience that I'll be proud to have here. Veterans, their families, active duty folks from all over the country. By the way, just before we uh, go, Skyworks, Corvo, Micron, wow, Semi's getting killed. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'm just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you Monday. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.